0: It just so happened that I mean you know we got this book has 30 sections in it. <laughs> and and we uh it just so happened that we ended up on this section this week. I promise I didn't plan it this way, but we ended up on the the love section of the book. That was this week's. So that, that was it. I didn't. I promise I didn't do that. Um, so, you know, the first, the first ten topics in this book that we've been going through are about the um, idea of becoming, or, uh, or what we believe, I'm sorry, what we believe. And then from there... Uh, after those 10 things about what what do you need to believe, then we got the 10 things on how we need to act, because belief leads to action, and then belief and action leads to what you become. Because, you know, we do some things because we believe them, even if they're not yet who we are, right? So, you know, we believe something, it leads us to an action, that action eventually becomes who we are, and I, I read an interesting uh, statement in the book this week. Cause um, I spent three days in Ohio this week, and thank goodness the cold weather went away before I got there. And uh, and it was twenty something degrees when I left coming back, so I was glad to leave it there. But man, I was I was reading this stuff on the plane on the way to Cincinnati, and. I was reading it while I was there, and I was reading it on the way back, and and uh, I told Caleb though I was listening to uh, Jason Upton. And if you don't listen to any Jason Upton, you need to. It's like Worship Central, and uh, and so I was I was on the plane, and then I realized I better stop because I'm about you know they're gonna kick me off this plane. Because man, I was sitting there having my had my Bose headphones on, the noise canceling. Man, he was wearing it out, and I realize I'm kind of humming with him, and I'm fixing to start singing, and you know, and I'm like, okay, I, I really don't need to get kicked off this plane on the way to the meeting. Now, if I get kicked off on the way back, it might be a different story because I, I can find a way home. But um, it's, man, it's just been a good week. It's been a good week of getting in God's word, and so uh, we're going to talk about this today. I'm I'm good, Jason. Um, we're gonna we're fixing to watch a video here on. On love, and um, but I read this statement this week on, and, and you maybe saw it in a book. It just stood out to me, and it said, "Mature fruit on the outside gives evidence to the health of the branch on the inside." Mature fruit on the outside gives evidence to the health of the branch on the inside. And so, since we're talking about love, and uh, this is a little different, I've I've really been kind of getting in this thing where. You're able to read the book, and you're able to get the stuff that's in the book, but God just kind of is giving me a, a little different take the last couple of weeks on, on the topic that should just add to what you're getting out of the book. And so I want you to watch um, this video about love.
1: Love. 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 In this world, it's pretty messed up. It asks for a lot and it never returns the favor. Love, in my world, well, it brings more trouble than it's worth. In my world, love has felt like sabotage. It flees into the night. It it, it leaves at the first sign of trouble, and it never feels like I love you, no matter what. Because love in my world, it leaves, and when it leaves, there's only disaster left. No promises a lie, but it doesn't deliver much. It breaks hearts. I've picked up the pieces of my broken heart one too many times. So I build walls. Love isn't worth the tears. The pain. The loneliness. The surrender. It's exhausting. Even when you try to do love right, love fails. I have made a mess out of love. What good is it? Can't help me. I love it all. Why do I even try to love? Why sacrifice to carry the burden? Why? 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 Because there is a perfect love. Perfect love that can end the disaster. A perfect love that can heal the brokenhearted. There is a love that saved those who are dwelling in this messed up world. God tells us about it because we wouldn't recognize it if it showed up on our own doorstep. It's a love that takes its time. It's profound. It doesn't brag or badmouth. God's love is like a shield that we know will never leave us. That you can trust. Hoping. And you never, ever exhaust it. That's his kind of love. And it never fails. And while we were keeping records of wrongs and self-seeking and being unkind, he still died for us. How can I love like that? How can I love like that? How can I love like that? Because I am loved like that. I can love well, not because of me, but because he first loved me.
0: Amen. I think when we start talking about um, love, it's important. I always tell you guys it's important to understand what does something mean. What does a word mean? And so, you know, I would ask you that today. What what does the word love mean to you? I want you to think about that in in your mind. What does it look like? What does it sound like? What does it act like? Here's what Scripture says about Love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 8, says this, Love suffers long and is kind. Love envies not. Love flaunts not itself and is not puffed up. It does not behave itself improperly, seeks not its own, is not easily provoked, thinks no evil, rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things love never fails but if there are prophecies they shall fail if there are tongues they shall cease and if there is knowledge it shall vanish we're going to stay right there love is defined by god that's at the end of the day love is defined by god and he just gave this whole list of stuff that it suffers long, it's kind, it doesn't envy, it doesn't flaunt itself, it's not puffed up, it doesn't behave improperly, doesn't seek its own, it's not easily provoked, it doesn't think evil. This is an exhausting list, I'm just telling you. <laughs> In both the fact that it, that it like covers all the stuff, and it's exhausting. <laughs> it's exhaustive, and it's exhausting. But anyway... It rejoices not in iniquity, but it rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. When we act in a way that's in conflict, conflict with that list, then we're acting out of something other than love. That's, that's, that's a difficult statement. That's it's a difficult one for us to absorb and apply to our lives but that's a reality when we act in a way that's in conflict with that list and we're acting out of something other than love because God says this is the definition of love and if we're acting in a way that conflicts with that then we're not acting out of love love is the thread that shows up consistently throughout the narrative of all of history We're going to go to these next verses here in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. We're going to stay right there. This was what became known as the Shema for the Jewish people. And it means to hear. To hear. To hear. Because it started out here, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. This is what they would then teach their children. This was a thing that was repeated and was shared and would be recited back because it was one of those things where God was saying, Listen, listen as I tell you about myself and tell you about how I want you to, to act, And here's an interesting thought about this passage because he says we are to teach them diligently to our children and then describes what it means to teach diligently because he says you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, you shall talk of them when you walk by the way, talk of them when you lie down, talk of them when you rise up, bind them as a sign on your hands so that when you're doing work, it can be known. It reminds you. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. I think that way other people could see you and know about it. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. If somebody comes to your house, they ought to know about God. They ought to know about God. It's a powerful thing. And I, I'll throw this out there. And As you guys know, I've been telling you for the last couple of weeks, that God's just really been trying to do a revival in my own heart. And... Man, I've been wearing out. I'm, I'm just hoping that uh, that Faith Life TV just keeps putting stuff on there, because man, I'm I'm wearing some stuff out. And some some of the Christian movies are a little bit cheesy, but but I'd rather it be cheesy than to be greasy, right? Because I don't need no greasy junk going up in my life, right? And um, but it made me think when I was looking at this week, where it says, you know, that, that you'll teach them diligently to your children. A lot of folks can't do that because TV's too loud at your house. Can't teach it to the children because we're just parking in front of stuff and, and, and that's what we're doing is that's all we're just watching and we're not talking. You can't talk about them when you're sitting in the house because maybe we don't spend time sitting together in the house talking about the good things of God. You don't get a lot of amens when you do this kind of stuff. But look, I mean, that's the thing is, this is one of the greatest things. Okay, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened in your life. And it's something that continues to give, and it's something that continues to pour out. and, And that's what God has just kind of been impressing on me is, wow, if we want our children to know, if we want each other, if we want people around us to know then it has to be something that is in us. And I'm not talking about the fake stuff that comes out of people when, y'all know know how it is, when you're around somebody and everything that you say to them, you know, you're like, I mean, you're just having a normal conversation. It's not something related to some direct spiritual focus. And if you just said, hey, did you, you know, see who got drafted, you know, by, you know, so-and-so team or whatever. Hey, did you watch, you know, Duke play the other night, see Zion Williamson, praise God. Now, you know how you just want to slap those people, right? Can we just be honest? Okay, maybe you don't want to slap them. You just want to walk away. I mean, but, but you probably wanted to slap them. Because they just always, you know, everything they say. Man, I stopped to get gas, praise God. You know, and, 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 and there, was a, there was a lizard walking across the road. Thank you, Jesus. I'm not talking about you doing stuff that's just contrived and trying to sound like you're being spiritual, Right? I'm talking about opportunities where the Holy Spirit opens a door and moves on you to be able to express heartfelt relationship with, with God. So this Shema where they would constantly remind their people of, of what God had done and what God was doing and who God was to them and to them as a people was important. And But love was not only this thread because you know, If you follow love throughout the whole Bible, you're going to see in the very beginning that God creates. And when God creates, that's really an act of love. That creation was an act of love. And God came and He walked with them. It was an act of love. And even when God had to correct them and expel them from the garden, it still was an act of love. And God was before all of that ever began. The Bible says that Jesus was the Lamb slain from, the, from before the foundation of the world. this thread of love just travels all the way through the Bible. You see where God loves his people, Israel, and they would turn their back on him. They would go and they would follow other gods. They would do all these other things and God would continually draw them back. And, and then we follow that all the way to Jesus coming and, and people mistreated him and, and abused him. And it wasn't God's plan, but it was all according to God's love. And then we see Christ die, Christ uh, raised from the dead, Christ ascends to heaven, and, and there's still this culmination of love that's going to happen when God sends Jesus back to catch away his bride, and and then when a new heaven and a new earth is established. But love is just that common thread. It was really important to Jesus because here we're going to see next in Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 31, this is what it says. Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 31. Mark 12, 28 through 31. This is what it says. One of the scribes came and heard them reasoning together. Perceiving that Jesus had answered them well, he asked him, Jesus, which is the first commandment of all? Jesus answered, the first of all the commandments is, and we just saw this, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. We're going to stop right there. We have these two most important commandments according to Jesus. He says, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. He says, there is no other commandment that's greater than these two. You think about that. All the other things that Jesus said to do, all the other things that God put out there, all of the the, the things that we can find that says we're to do this or act like this or be this, the Bible says there's none that is greater. Jesus himself says there's no commandment that's greater than these two, with the first being love God. With everything you have, your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, and in love, your neighbor as yourself. Now, does that mean that there are no other commandments to obey? Well, no. Rather, it means that all the other commandments will be in alignment with these two that are greater than all the others. We should be able to find in every other commandment a way that that ties back to love God and love others. Every other commandment is linked to those two because he says these two are the greatest. I'm sorry, but I, you know, being a fan of uh, of some um, movies that are out there, I'm definitely a fan of the Lord of the Rings stuff. I kind of I kind of like those, and you know they talk about one ring to rule them all. If you don't know the movie, then Watch a series of movies. I guess it's pretty interesting. J.R.R. Tolkien was a Christian guy, and so, but one ring to rule them all. I thought of that. That's just the way my mind works. I thought of that when I read Jesus told my days, two commandments to rule them all. Because if we do any of the other commandments and leave these two, there's a problem. We talked here recently, even that you know Jesus. Um, or, you know, God points this out in Revelation when he speaks to the church and he says, oh, I, I know that you you can't stand the things that are wrong and you can't stand false you know, prophets and all this stuff and, and you work hard and all this, but i got one thing against you, and that is that you left your first love. Why? Because Jesus was later going to say, hey, there's two commandments that are bigger than everything else. And that is love God and love others. And all the other commandments are secondary to these two. Because honestly, if we get those two down, if we love God, then we're going to do all the other stuff he tells us to do. If we love others, we're going to be demonstrating the God who loved us. I think that's the real difference in the two. If we love God, we're going to do what he tells us. But if we love others, we are showing them God. John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. We're going to see this next, and this is what it says. John 13, 34 and 35. Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Stay right there on that one for just a second. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, and then he gives a definition of what that's going to look like. Even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And verse 35 says, By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Let's stick with that. Note, note the definition. Note the definition of how our love should be framed. Love others like Jesus loved us. Woo! Jesus says that will be the identification badge that all men will use to know that we are followers of Christ. Not, not that people get healed. You catch this. Now there's all this other stuff that God does. And I believe that. If you don't believe that God you know, heals today or whatever, then when you get terribly sick, you may change your mind. You may be, you may be wanting to believe that God can, can do I believe God can do miracles. He's doing them around the world. There's places around the world where the dead are raised. There's all kind of stuff that happens around the world that God does in his power. But God doesn't say, well, people are going to know you're my followers because you raised people from the dead. Or people are going to know you're my followers because that you have really big churches. Or people are going to know that you're my followers because that... Um, you say stuff and people say you ought to write a book and then you sell a bunch of books. I mean, what you pick whatever it is. What he says is that people will know, all men will know that you're my disciples because of your love. He's already said these are the two greatest commandments, love God, love others. And as a result of that, that's how people are going to know that we're followers of Christ. Notice he didn't say, by this all men will know that you're saved. Because I believe there's people that are saved, but yet they don't demonstrate God's love. Maybe it's a maturity thing, maybe it's they're new into Christ, maybe it's just because they're just resistant. But I believe there are people that that are saved that are still having to learn, because I don't believe that any of us are demonstrating the love of God to the ability that we can I believe we grow in that and we mature in that and, and we allow God to demonstrate His love through us more and more and more. And so we just continually yield to that. And... But we could say, well, there's a lot of people that love each other and they're not Christians. So how can that be that we say that, you know, people are going to know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another, but there's people that love each other and they're not followers of Christ. That would be just an improper understanding of what God was talking about when it comes to this idea of love. And and mainly it's because, again, we we have one word that we use basically for love, and there's all these different words that that are used for love in the original languages. The idea, though, of this Christian love is a strong non-sexual affection and regard for a person and their good, and this is important, as understood by God's moral character, especially characterized by a willing forfeiture of rights or privileges in another person's behalf. Catch that. Strong non-sexual affection and regard for a person and their good, as understood by God's moral character. Especially, this is why Jesus said, love each other as I've loved you. We've got to understand love in light of God's moral character. Not just, well, you know, yeah, I love you. Do we love people the way that Jesus loved people? That's the key. It's recognizing this filter of understanding this agape love, this unfailing love. But how do we see the love of God demonstrated? Now, I want to walk through a couple of examples of how we see this because what I realize is without us having a deep understanding of God's love, then we won't have a mental picture of what our own lives should look like. Because when Jesus says, you've got to love people the way that I love people, then we have to get a really strong understanding of how did Jesus love people then because I mean if I, if if Bird was to say, you know, in his skills of working on cars and doing body work and all that stuff, he said, "Hey, you need to restore your car the way I've restored this car over here and you never go look at that car and understand and say, well, how did you do? What did you have? What are the what what kind of level of quality are you saying you have on this? If you don't understand that, then he can tell you all day long hey, you need to restore your car the same way I did my car, but you don't ever study his car." to get the the standard in your mind, what does that mean? Then you'll go over here and you'll kind of restore your car and then all of a sudden we'll go, hey, next Sunday you're going to bring your car you restored and Burr's going to bring that Ford Fairlane. Did you sell that thing? Okay, all right. You bring that Ford Fairlane. And and we're going to put them out here in the parking lot and people are going to walk up and look at it. And some of you would have a discerning enough eye that you'd walk up and go, well, I don't want to say anything to this other guy over here, but I mean... I can see where he didn't smooth the bondo out real good. You can see it. You can see it through the paint. He, he didn't feather that out, smooth that out. Well, man, I don't see that over here on Bird's Car. Right? You ever see those, where those Pinterest fails that people put on their post and they'll say, you know, I was going to make this minion cake and they show you the Pinterest picture and then they show their picture? It doesn't look the same. It's not even close sometimes you 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 know you're looking at it going, Hmm, if you didn't give me the before or what it was supposed to be, I wouldn't know for sure what you did right here <laughs> right? If you just put that out there and said, Can anybody guess what this is? Mm. <laughs> a mistake <laughs> I could guess that's what that was. It's important that we that we understand. What does it mean when Jesus says, Love people like I love them? And here's what I boy, I hope. I don't think there's any way that in one message, and no matter what how long we did this, I I don't I can't tell you enough to get you to grasp God's love for you. I can't. There's not enough right words for me to say. There's not enough things that I could convey to get you to. Understand, or to wrap your brain around God's love for you. There's not enough right pictures. There's not enough things. I can't put enough stuff on this screen. If we stay here for the next week, I, I can't, I can't accomplish that. So I'm really, I, I, I've in leading up to this week, boy, I've I've prayed a lot and thought a lot, and and have just asked God for the Holy Spirit to help us begin to see and understand God's love for us. Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. This is what it says. I want to talk for a moment on, I want to give you a couple of examples of how Jesus demonstrated God's love. And this first one's going to be the story of the ten lepers. It says, As Jesus went to Jerusalem, He passed between Samaria and Galilee, as he entered a village, there met him ten men who were lepers, who stood at a distance. They lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go, show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, When he saw that he was healed, returned with a loud voice glorifying God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus said, Were not the ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Were there not any found to return and give glory to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, Rise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. I want us to... Stay focused on how God's love was demonstrated in this situation. Did you notice that Jesus didn't ask the ten lepers, "Hey, have you been doing anything illegal or immoral since you got sick right i mean he didn't he didn't say, "Hey, so I know that According to our customs, you guys got ostracized outside the city because nobody wanted to catch this, and you had to do all this stuff, you know, putting your finger under your nose and yelling out unclean, unclean. If somebody was coming near so they would know they didn't need to get near you because you had leprosy. And, and so you can't work, you can't be around your family. So have you guys been stealing in order to get food? You know, have you been doing some things that are wrong? Jesus never asked them anything. Jesus sees ten men who have leprosy and they cry out and ask him to have pity on them. I want you to catch something else in this. We'll talk about here in just a moment about the one guy being a Samaritan. But isn't it interesting how that when calamity strikes people, the things that used to divide them go away. Jewish people and Samaritan people didn't hang out together, but when they all got leprosy, ain't nobody worried about any of that. We just all got a problem. And it separated us from everybody else. See, sinners understand this. We understood this when we were in sin. You go to any bar that's out here, and I guarantee you there's not all... Well, let me rephrase that. Because there's some bars that wants to be white only and want to be white supremacists, and there's bars that want to be this or that or the other or you know whatever they are. But you go to the average bar out here, and there's people all hanging out in there. They, they come from different backgrounds. Some of them maybe a little more well-to-do. Some of them not that, that well-to-do. Somebody can get up and play some music. They'll enjoy the fire out of that. Doesn't matter where that guy's from, where he's been. It's just they appreciate talent, and, and, and they get a little loosened up. They'll, they'll enjoy each other. They'll talk to people they've never seen before. See, when we were in sin, we all recognized we were all in the same boat together, even though we didn't realize it was about to go off of a cliff. It was going over the waterfall. Right? But then we get saved and we start separating. These guys that had leprosy, it didn't matter if he was Samaritan, if they were Jewish, whatever else. We just all got a problem. Can't go around anybody else. At least we need to hang out with each other. They cry out to Jesus, have pity on us. And Jesus just, Jesus doesn't say, do you want to repent? <laughs> I mean, I find this one to be one of the most interesting things that he, that he ever does when it comes to healing people water. He doesn't ask them, do you believe in me? Do you? He just knew they at least had said, Jesus, have pity on us. They were expressing some kind of faith or hope or we don't know, but we can't go anywhere else type of thing. Jesus just speaks to them and says, go to the priest. Now, if you don't know how this works, leprosy, you could survive it. There were times where you could come out, and if you came out of having this disease, you had to go to the priest and present yourself for the priest to examine you to determine that you were clean. And then the priest could release you back into society. Could say, yep, you can go back to your family and everything else. I identify that you are clean from this disease. Jesus doesn't say be healed. Jesus doesn't say leprosy be gone. Jesus doesn't rebuke anything. Jesus just looks at them and says, go to the priest and show yourself. Now here's the second thing that's interesting. It doesn't say that they were healed right then. It says while they went, then they were cleansed. I firmly believe that if they hadn't moved, they'd have stayed in leprosy. Because Jesus spoke with authority and just moved right to the punchline, go to the priest, and when they stepped out in faith, they were healed. And it took them a minute because they're walking, and then they realize, hey, the leprosy's gone. I'm healed. And one guy says, man, i got to go back to that guy. I have to go back and tell him thank you. Jesus saw the need of people that were cast out of society. He saw the need of those who felt useless, separated, looked down upon, disconnected, treated like garbage, smelled like garbage, viewed as useless. And the one guy that was considered to be even worse, because if he didn't have leprosy, he was already considered to be less than everybody else. Jewish people called the the Samaritans dogs because they were mixed racially. They viewed, oh my goodness, if you weren't pure Jew or if you weren't pure something else, then, man, you were the lowest of the low to them. It's the way it was. It's the way the society was at that moment. So this guy was already considered... To be in a bad spot. And now he's got leprosy too. But out of all of that. He alone. Out of the ten. Came back to thank God. Maybe it was because he he had known what it was like to be outcast his whole life. And leprosy just piled on for him. And now you've set me free from that. I can tell that you're Jewish. And you have spoken freedom to me. I will come back and worship you. Have you ever felt like you were useless? Separated? Looked down on? Disconnected? Maybe you've even thought of yourself as garbage. Maybe you felt useless. We can understand the love of God by seeing how Jesus responded to these people who were experiencing this. He showed mercy. He healed them. And he told them, go get back into society. What has your love looked like when you encountered people in your life that were experiencing these kind of things? Does it look like Jesus loving people? Or do we just walk on by? Jesus healed a large crowd and he fed them. We're going to look at this in Matthew chapter 14, verses 13 through 21. And by the way, there's actually, if you'll read in in some of this, there's actually two different occurrences where Jesus feeds a large group of people, and they're almost right in a row. You'll see them real close to each other in the Scripture. This is the first one. Here's what it says. When Jesus heard this, he departed from there by boat for a deserted place. But when the people heard it, they followed him on foot from the cities. Jesus went ashore and saw a great assembly, and he was moved with compassion toward them, and he healed their sick. When it was evening, his disciples came to him saying, This is a lonely place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy themselves food. But Jesus said to them, They do not need to depart. You give them something to eat. They said to him, We have only five loaves here and two fish. He said, Bring them here to me. Then, He commanded the crowds to sit down on the grass. He took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke and gave the loaves to his disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. They all ate and were filled, and they took up 12 baskets full of the fragments that remained. Those who had eaten were about 5,000 men besides women and children. We'll stay right there picked up in the first verse, it said Jesus was looking to be alone for a while. Jesus had decided, I I need to get away. I'm going to go somewhere to a deserted place. I'm going to go have some time away. He's going to have his close group with him, but but we're going to kind of get away for a moment. But the crowds were following. He goes out into the boat, and they're going, the crowds are following Along the, 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 the shore. They're trying to track. We've got to follow him. And Jesus sees. And so they, they pull into the shore. And he looks and he sees. It's kind of an inferred thing. here. he recognizes they have a bunch of sick people. He sees this large crowd. And it says that he, he heals their sick we t- I think maybe we lose, we lose sight of what this means today because they didn't have medical treatments and medicines like we have today. Now, they had a lot more advancements than we think they had when you read some of it, but, but things that today we would commonplace treat and people would survive, people didn't, didn't always make it through back then. And so suffering and sickness was often commonplace without relief. So Jesus demonstrated the love of God by healing their sick, And then, once their health need was met, he provided and showed even more love by answering their nourishment need. Now, I want to share with you just my thought on part of this. I believe that this is an example of Jesus demonstrating what the work of the believer in the faith community is. Number one, we should share the love of God through salvation whereby people avoid spiritual death. Number two, then we provide for their ongoing spiritual nourishment through discipleship, feeding them so that they continue to follow Christ. Jesus looked and said, come off the boat, if I don't heal some of these people, they're going to die. I wonder, as we're supposed to be radiating the love of God, when we walk out in society, do we see some people and go, if they don't get the message of God and come to Christ, they're going to die. After he had done that, then the disciples were like, hey, it's time for everybody to eat. You should send them away. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. they need to stay. We don't need them to go away. They need to stay. The disciples said, send them so they can go find themselves something to eat. Jesus says, you give them something to eat. You take care of them. You nourish them. Don't send them off to try to do it on their own. We've got them off to this deserted place. And sometimes following Christ without one another is a deserted place. And if we're going to tell people, hey, you go off and figure out how to get through your spiritual life. You go off and figure out how to disciple yourself. Jesus looked at the leaders and said, you disciple them. You feed them. Don't send them off. Invest in them. And they go, well, we don't have. We don't have to be able to feed these people. You're right. And I would tell you today because it's not about church leaders and all that. It's really about us individually who the Bible says that we're all a royal priesthood. It's about all of us feeding and discipling others to the point where we are and then being discipled so that we can constantly be moving and bring people along with us, right? Right? But you're right, we don't individually have the stuff. We don't don't have in and of ourselves something to be able to give people to feed them. But we're able to take God's Word and break it open, break it apart, and we're able then to distribute that to people and feed them with that. And God will multiply the work. God will multiply the message Jesus looked at them and said, you feed them. They're kind of like, how are we supposed to do that? All we got is this and this. He says, bring it to me. (laughs) There's so much there. If you'll take what you have and bring it to Jesus, and if you're willing for him to break it, then he will take and he will use it. And he will multiply it. And he will distribute it. Probably the easiest way for us to identify Jesus demonstrating God's love is when he died for us on Calvary. And we're going to hit four different passages here. Matthew 27, verses 27 through 31. I just want to kind of walk you through the the process of Jesus dying. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole detachment of soldiers before him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And when they wove a crown of thorns, they put it on his head, put a staff in his right hand. They knelt before him and mocked him, saying, Hell, king of the Jews. They spit on him, took the staff, and hit him on the head. After they had mocked him, they took the robe off him and put his garments, his own garments on him, and led him away to crucify him. Stop right there. I want you to, as so we'll get through these couple of passages, I, I need you to wrap your mind around this. I need you to imagine this. I need you to see in your mind, I need you to see in your heart this vision of Jesus preparing to die for you. They spit on him, put a crown of thorns on him, took the staff, hit him on the head, mocked him, then led him away to crucify him. John chapter 19, verses 28 through 30. After this, Jesus, knowing that everything was now accomplished, that scripture might be fulfilled. Now, you know, let me get you where we've skipped on past him going up Calvary and, and uh, not being able to carry the cross. And he's on the cross and he's been there and he's been suffering. And now it says, He knew that everything had been accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. A bowl full of, next slide, a bowl full of sour wine was placed there. So they put a sponge full of sour wine on hyssop and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. John three sixteen and 17 says this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son... That whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. In 2 Corinthians 5, 21, which we sang about today, God made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. This next picture, I want you to see it and and kind of think through. God, God has really just been um, this week, He was just taking me down a lot of different pathways about love and God's love and trying to understand and and I was listening to something and and I heard them talking about neural pathways neural pathways and so I ended up doing some research on this and reading about it and neural pathways is a concept of how patterns are formed in our brain and the patterns that are formed in our brain on these neural pathways define how we react to things when they happen. It's it's something like this picture. If you imagine a meadow with tall grass in it, and you're standing on one side like here, and you're you're looking out across this meadow. And you look and you see that there's a pathway, and it stretches out before you, and it parts the way in this waist-high grass you stop to think about how did that path get here you realize there had to be time after time where something or someone traveled that same direction in order to trample down that grass and create that dirt pathway that you see going through that meadow that's how our brain works I'm throwing a little science in here for you today. When we repeatedly think a thought over and over and over, we create a neural pathway in our mind. And over time, our brain will respond to a given situation based on that neural pathway that we've created in the past. It's just there. Your brain goes much like what you hear about water. It will seek the path of least resistance. Electricity does the same thing. It'll go the path of least resistance. Your brain does the same thing. And over time and through your raising and through the environment that you've been in and thoughts that you have thought over and over and over, you have created these neural pathways in your mind. And so, at times, even when you don't understand why, and you react to something, it's because that that neural pathway is established in your brain, and so you believe some element of truth about something, and that's why you respond that way. For instance, if if you have, well, let me give you a great example. You got a small child, and really small child. He asked his mother for a sucker, right? Now, grandparents are the worst, right, because you just give them the sucker, but anyway. So they asked, it, they asked, he asked his mom for a sucker, and she says no. We, maybe it's, you know, hey, we're going to eat dinner here in just an hour. You don't need to be eating it now, or you want to end up eating your dinner. But you say no. And the child asks again, a little more forcefully this time, but I want a sucker, I want a sucker. And you say no. And the child falls down in the floor, starts to pitch a fit, whining and crying, all that stuff, and then mom goes, oh, dear God, and gives them a sucker. You just started a neural pathway in that child's mind because they identified, wait a minute, if I do this, then I get that. And if you do that time after time after time, you have created a neural pathway in their mind. And so now, as they even grow older, they will begin to apply that truth to other things in life. They'll do it in school, they'll do it on the job, because they have identified there's a neural pathway that's been established that says if I don't get what I want, then if I pitch a fit, or if I put a bandana over my face and go out and throw stuff through car windows and through store windows, that's why that jump's going on today, by the way. It's not just, oh, I'm going to preach that for a moment. It Yes, there's some sin getting up in people that want to go out here and say they're protesting, destroying people's property, all right? I'm all about peaceful protesting for whatever your, your thing is. But when you start tearing everybody's property up, you just got something wrong, particularly if you burn it down in your neighborhood. Man, if you ain't got but one store in the neighborhood and you burn the store down... And the guy that owns the store lives next door to you, and you ain't got nothing against him, but you burn the store down. All right. But a lot of that happens because of neural pathways. But you can apply it to anything. It doesn't matter whether you, if you want to pitch a fit because your wife didn't do this or because your husband did this, probably because you've got a neural pathway that's been established in your brain. that Somewhere in your past, whether you saw it out of your parents and you accepted that as truth, here's the reality, and I posted this at one point earlier this week when I was listening to some of this stuff. What you believe to be truth today is based on thoughts that you have thought over and over and over in the past even if they're not true. Because it established that. Here's what I need you to grasp. This applies to our spiritual lives. And specifically, it applies to the love of God. I want to quickly show you some scriptures that God reminded me of this week when I first heard this about these neural pathways. And I was going, God, you got to figure out you know, how we're going to get neural pathways into this. Because you're telling me this needs to be a part of this. And how are we going to get there? This next slide has Proverbs 23 and 7 on it. For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. King James Version says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. That's the, the first part of that verse. Matthew 12 and 34 says, O generation of vipers, how can you being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. We're going to go to this next one. We're going to stay on it. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God has been telling people about pathways for a long time. Because he was saying, hey, whatever's in your heart, what you're believing, is what's going to end up coming out of your mouth. As a man thinks, as he continues to think, so is he. I've had to tell people before in the workplace where, that they had gotten some impasse going between two people. Somebody said something wrong to somebody, somebody, you know, cut in front of them in line or whatever. I mean, you pick. And, and so from there forward, everything that happened was run through that filter because they had thought about it, thought about it, thought about it, and established a neural pathway. And then that person would say something, and then they ran it through that neural pathway. They're trying to do something to me. They're trying to, you know. And so then you're watching something from the outside, sometimes you have to take two people and get them in the same room and say, hey, I need you all to sit here and talk about this. And they'd talk about it, and one person would go, well, I didn't mean it at all, what you're thinking. And I, another person go, well, I didn't mean. And by the time they go out, they're shaking hands, and they're like, hey, you want to go to lunch, you know, and, and all this stuff, because the neural pathway had been beat down, and it, boom, they just headed down that neural pathway. What you believe about God's love is showing up in how you love other people. I'm just telling you. What you believe about God's love is showing up in how you love other people. And God tells us here in Romans 12 too, He says, You're go- you can't be conformed to those neural pathways that have been in your mind and how you have been learned about love and how you- because what we've mostly learned about is lust, not love. There's more marriages that are falling apart Because what they see on TV, that is not the way it really happens, and y'all all all know it. It don't look like that. It doesn't happen that long. Just being as straightforward as I can be. There's no theme music that starts going on. Sometimes people ain't brushed their teeth. Y'all know what I'm saying. It doesn't always happen that, that you know, when, when you're trying to love your kids, that you just finally get something for them to see, and they're just like, oh, yes, and they just change everything, and, oh, Mom and Dad, you're so wonderful. It don't happen that way. It's not really the way that goes. It may, and God bless you if it happens that way for you, but that's not necessarily reality. You don't walk into the coffee shop in the Hallmark movie. And you all scruffy and everything else and somebody's got millions of dollars, looks and goes, oh, I just immediately fall in love with them. I mean, right? It just don't happen that way. That's not really the way this stuff normally happens. But we, if we're not careful, we allow the world to program our minds into what love looks like, including God's love. You will hear people say, I can't believe that a God who loves people would let them go to hell. That's because you don't understand love. God's not, the Bible says that it's not his will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's his love. But his love is such that he says, I will not have slaves, I will not take people. And make them serve me. But I will love people. And I will extend an invitation to them. And I'll heal ten lepers. And I'll heal the sick. And I'll send my son to die on the cross. And I will reach out and I will say, Come unto me all you who are weary and heavy laden. And I will give you rest. I will communicate that God so loved, I so loved the world that I sent my son, that whosoever will believe in him should not perish, will have everlasting life. Because I'm not sending him to condemn you, but I'm sending him so that, that you could be redeemed, so that you could be restored, so that you would know my love. So I've shared with you how love is defined in God's Word. I've shared with you that God's love is the thread that's woven throughout all of history. I've shared with you that Jesus confirmed the two greatest commandments are in order, love God, love others. I've shared with you that Jesus then gave them a new commandment, directed us to love each other even as he has loved us. I've shared examples of how Jesus loved us, demonstrating God's love. He loved and didn't ask people about what they had been doing. He just ministered to them. He took and he met a a, a physical need and then met a spiritual need and he calls us to do it. And then he died for us. He just flat out died for us. And he said, now love other people the way I've loved you. That while we were yet in sin, Christ died for us. The Bible says that's how God demonstrated his love. How are we loving people? Jesus said, love people as I've loved people. I died for you when you were yet in sin. How are you loving people? That's what I've been hearing in my heart all week. It's God's call there through Jesus where he said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you. I was willing to die for you. So that's the challenge. We've come to that moment where I have to challenge us. Are we truly loving? And are we loving as Jesus loved us? Do your text that you send people indicate that you're loving like Jesus loved? the social media indicate that you're loving like Jesus loved? The conversations that you have, the actions and the attitudes, do they reflect God? See, the thoughts that you've had over and over and over, the thoughts that we pour out in all of these different mediums and, and just in person, they're a reflection of those neural pathways that we've created. Paul, Paul understood this. Paul reminded people at one point in time he was in prison. And he could have said, You know, hey, I really want you guys just to be thinking about me being in prison and, and feel really bad for me and all this stuff. But instead, he says, Whatsoever well, things are pure and honest and lovely and of good report. And if there's any good thing, think on these things. God's always been trying to tell us, create the right neural pathway. Trample down the path in your mind where that your brain will go that direction so that when life comes against you and says God doesn't love you, your brain just goes right down the path. God loves me. Jesus died for me. You're not, you're not worth anything. Jesus died for me. I might not have had anything, but he has decided to set his affection on me. I'm not talking about the things that you say when you know other people are watching you and they're going to hear you and you want to sound right when you talk about God's love. I'm talking about your true view of God's love, which really shows up the most in how we love others. God willingly, through Jesus, He died for us. He willingly suffered for us. Just as we were while we were in sin. Even knowing that we would be at times unfaithful. Even knowing that we would at times be ungrateful. Even when others would consider us unlovable, still Jesus loved us and gave Himself for us. Is that really what you have continually thought about time and time again? Is that truly what your mind sees when you think about God's love? Do you really think about God loves me that much? God has chosen to pour out his love on me. If that's not how you've been thinking, then I want to challenge you today to come to the realization that the reason maybe that your love for other people is not what it should be is because maybe you don't truly believe that God loves you that much. And I think this is a fine line thing. I think there are a lot of people that maybe believe Yeah, God loved me enough that that I can get saved. But maybe you just think God doesn't like you. Okay, he loved me, but he just doesn't like me. He loved me enough to save me, but I mean, he doesn't really, I mean, I'm still terrible, and I'm still not that great, and I'm still damaged goods, and I'm still all this stuff. And yet Jesus is saying, Behold, all things are passed away, and all things are made new. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Today you can open your heart, you can open your mind, and you can allow God to reveal his love to you in a powerful and an overwhelming way. Allow him to show you that he really does love you despite your faults, despite your failures even despite how you feel about yourself. As that love washes over your heart, God will change how you love others. I want you to watch this, and then I'm going to come back, and we're going to have a time of prayer.
1: Before I created the heavens and the earth, I thought about you. Before I called Abraham and made my covenant with him, I had a plan for your life. Before I sent Moses into Egypt to free my people, I loved you. Before I made David king of Israel, you were in my thoughts. Because I love you, I sent my angel to Mary and Joseph in Nazareth. When I sent my angels to proclaim my son's birth, I had human mind when I showed the star to the Magi my plan for you was proceeding when my son taught my truth to the people of Israel he knew of you hmm. when he was arrested and beaten it was for you when they nailed him to the cross it was in your place I sent him so that you and I could have a relationship to provide a way for you, to pay for your shortcomings, your sins. From the beginning of time until the end of time, I have loved you. I love you. I only ask you to answer my call. Open the door to your life invite me in, to spend eternity with me in the heaven that I created for you, for I have done all of this for you, for you are my child.